Chick Flick Chat is happily brought to you by BetterBrighterEasier.com, home of Rumigator, the natural neutralizer. Rumigator room freshener and linen spray is made with organic essential oils. They harness the power of Mother Nature to make your surroundings smell fresh and odor-free. Just shake and spray it anywhere where you need some freshening. Go greener with Rumigator, available at BetterBrighterEasier.com. Helpful things for a happy life. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. This is Lucy Weston. Welcome to Chick Flick Chat. It is April 1st, 2023. I got the date right. I know on some of my other shows I have said the wrong date when I'm recording. Um, I hope you're well and thanks for tuning in to Chick Flick Chat. Today's episode, we are going to feature the fabulous book and wonderful film, and I say that together because they are so entwined, called Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Um, it's just beautiful. So stay tuned. We're going to get to that in a second. I just want to do my traditional housekeeping to keep you up to date. Uh, first, thank you to all the new subscribers and listeners. That makes me very excited and I'm always happy to do another show and I hope it grows. So please, 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 uh, if you just tune in, please consider following uh, or subscribing depending upon which platform you're listening to and sharing with your friends um, or on social media. Every little bit helps. And uh, just so you know, I have cleaned up the issues that I was getting emails about and I mentioned this in a previous show. Uh, so I think now that all the search engines should be good. Uh, things are popping up on the website. I do house chickflickchat.com over at my, um, lifestyle blog called better, brighter, easier life.com. But either way you can find me chickflickchat.com and you'll get the accompanying articles, um, that go with each of the episodes for Chick Flick Chat. And I am a little behind, so forgive me on that for getting that uh, stuff published. But uh, I'm happy to be back here with you. And you can always also find me now on Amazon Music and Podcasts. So we're there. And Spotify, which is still relatively new. And that's growing. And finally, 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 in the last bit of housekeeping is we are on Google Play. It is updated all of the shows were, were came in through the feed finally correct. Uh, so that's a really good thing. I'm really happy about that. So I'm on all of the platforms, Apple, everything, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Chick Flick Chat. And I appreciate that. Okay. I have been waiting all week to talk to you about this. Um, I read the book, Where the Crawdads Sing, about two summers ago or so. Uh and it came as a recommendation through my friend Sue, who said that she read the book. She took off in the airport in Newark and was flying out to California and didn't want the plane to land because she wanted to finish the book. She could not put it down. And I thought, wow, that's quite a, a glowing review. And I had seen it. I had seen some press on it and I'd seen it in the bookstore. And I was like, all right, you know, let me, maybe I'll, I'll read this. 
So I did. And I was completely captivated and I loved it. And I'd say it's probably on the top five, maybe 10 books I've, top books I've ever read. Uh, if you have not yet read it, Summer's Coming, even if you've seen the movie, the book is just packed with beautiful writing and imagery. Uh, and it's just, it's a wonderful story and it certainly flushes out a lot more like all books do compared to a film version of them. Uh, you will enjoy it so much and it'll be your favorite beach read in a long time. I can guarantee you that. Uh, it's totally worth it. Okay, so my, my puppy is on my lap and she's kissing me. So if you hear things, <laughs> that's what it is. Sorry, I stop. So thank you. Um, I think it's the kind of book that, you know, the, the title is weird. We're going to talk about the title. There's a lot to, to go into here. Uh, and you're like, what? First of all, I had never heard of a crawdad. And I think most people in the United States haven't, if you didn't grow up in the South. Uh, so I did a little re research on crawdads. So we'll start with that. And I was like, what is this thing? Is it a bird? Is it a... Because they said, where, where the crawdad sings. So when I first started reading the book, I thought it was a bird. And then I don't know that... I don't remember if in the book they ever define what it is. Um, but Tate says to... Well, well, all right, let me... I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just slow down here because there is a lot. Uh, the film stars Daisy Edgar Jones as Kaya Clark. And what I didn't know about Daisy, I didn't really know her uh, prior to seeing some trailers for the movie, which is produced by Reese Witherspoon's company. Uh, I, I was like, oh, okay, I think she's probably a good cast for what you see in the book. I never was completely clear on what Kaya looked like in the book. Like you had the idea about the long dark hair, just could never quite picture her. And that's not anything about the writing. The writing was amazing. I don't know why, I just sort of could never get her. And um, so when I ended up watching the movie, it was perfect casting. So that I was, it's it's really good. And, the, and Daisy Edgar Jones did a phenomenal job uh, in what was not an easy role because she had to be simple through everything, but she had to make everything be like it was second nature to her, no pun intended. Uh, so, and she's actually uh, born in, and raised in London. She has an English accent, which you never pick up in the movie. So she really, she could do the American accent really well. Um, so it's directed by Olivia Newman, who did a beautiful job. And uh, the screenplay is written by Lucy Alibar. And the screenplay was a wonderful adaptation of the book. It really, really is. And it's, it's, that's not easy with a book that has so much detail and nuance. Um, and to, to bring it to the screen and not make it boring. Because there is so much nature in it. Um, but the, the underlying story about her life, Kaya's life, and the things that happen to her um, through nature. And, and it, well, it's all nature, technically. It's people. We're all, you know, it's all part of nature and, and the human condition. So that was really to, uh, kudos to Lucy Alibar for that. Um, 
Oh, wow, it's starting to lightning where I am. I hope I don't lose the Wi-Fi. So we'll just keep moving along. Uh, anyway, I think the best approach to this chick for chat for me to share with you all my thoughts is to look at it. I'm not going to go and say, oh, we see her in this scene and we see her in that way. I think the bigger, more important um, takeaway is to look at the approach as, as what the essence is of what we're seeing and learning. Those underlying meanings that I love to talk about in Chick Flick Chat, as you know, if you're a regular listener, um, but the education we get, the education about humans, about people, about nature, about our role as human beings, part of nature, but in nature and what it means. Uh, and it's, it's, that's the integral part of the story. It really is of everything here. So let me, let me jump in. Uh, okay, so what is a crawdad? I'm going to go back to that. Sorry, I, I, I kind of got a little uh, distracted, So as, as I want to do sometimes. Okay, so in the movie and in the book, Tate, the love interest played by Taylor John Smith, who is adorable uh, and has a big future, he says to her, um, you know, let's, we'll go out where the crawdads sing. And she says, my mother always said that. What do you mean? And she, the, my mom would say, go as far as you can, way out yonder where the crawdads sing. And it's a beautiful line. Way out yonder where the crawdads sing. It just brings up so much imagery. But what is it? You know, again, is it a bird? Is it, it turns out it's a crawfish, which looks like a tiny lobster. Uh, which is not at all, I mean, it makes sense in the name crawdad crawfish, but at first you're like, it's not really the imagery you're thinking when you hear that phrase, but I guess it doesn't matter because they all have their own beauty and nature and their own purpose. Um, and I, so I looked up what they, what they are and it turns out that they don't really sing, but they do make noise and they make noise by pushing water through their gills and when they are being attacked or they're in danger, they click their claws like lobsters do. So they can make some kind of sound. I tried to find the sound. I couldn't find any replication of the sound online. Um, and then they click their claws. So it, it could be quite loud, I suppose, if they're all, if you get a bunch of them. So it's, it's not quite when you go, oh, it sounds so beautiful. Like it's not running out to a, you know, a field of, of tulips, but it's, it's interesting. And it's, and that's part of it. Like the nature that we see and that Kaya grows up with and, and lives with and brings to the outside world beyond the marsh, because this all takes place on 300 plus acres of marsh that's supposed to be in North Carolina. Uh, movie trivia tidbit, it's not filmed in North Carolina. It was actually filmed in Louisiana, which I was surprised about. Uh, so, but it, you, you do think it's North Carolina and you learn a lot about the marsh and you have, you know, the marsh is one of those things like we go to the beach or you see, we kind of don't ever really, if you're not from those types of areas or on the intercoastals down south or the low country in South Carolina, you know, we don't really appreciate it from other parts of the country, but when you read the book, you have a whole newfound respect for for the ecosystem there. And and even the movie brings it to life in many, many ways. Um so the okay, so the, the we talked about what the crawdads are. I'm just looking at my notes. So she is 
this little girl who gets left by her family. She's, she's on her own. Uh, and one by one, everyone leaves her. And then before you know it, she's all alone in nature on these 300 acres of marsh that it turns out her ancestors owned and is passed down through the family. Um, and she owns it and eventually. So I, I kept thinking about this, like, you know, the, the incredibleness of the story is that she's this little girl who ends up surviving. She has all these ways that she sort of finds along uh, her path of obstacles that come up in front of her and she figures it out and how much that's like nature. You know, nobody teaches a horse to run or to canter or to, to trot. Uh, a horse knows, you know, or knows how to, if it falls in, in the water, it knows how to swim. There's things that it, it, it encounters and it already knows how to do. All animals, they can find their own prey. You know, even the squirrels in your backyard, they know how to find food and store food and make a nest. And it's, you know, they're, they're taught, you know, they're basically fed by their mothers in the animal kingdom. And then they're sort of put on their own. Maybe they learn from uh, watching or, but it's not like you have lessons when you're in the, in the wild. So, and I know that sounds kind of, but I've been around a lot of animals. You know, I, uh, we had a ranch, it was a horses and goats and chickens and everything. So you, you, you know, that the animals are sort of out of the womb or out of the egg and they, they kind of find their way. Only humans coddle and take care of and feed and, and nurture are young until they're 18 or so, you know, hopefully on the normal pattern of things. So this book is really kind of, uh, a bigger umbrella of it is the idea of nature versus nurture, you know, what's in society versus what's in innate in us to survive. Um, so, okay. The Marsh Girl, this is what they call her. And she is the Marsh Girl. And at first, you know, in the book and, and as you see in the movie, it's sort of insulting. You think of it that way, like, oh, they're just labeling her. She's labeled as the Marsh Girl. But in a weird way, no, it's not even weird. In a really beautiful way, she is the Marsh Girl. She embodies the Marsh. She shares the Marsh. Because eventually she gets all of her notes and her drawings after she learns to read. And Tate is a conduit to that. He teaches her to read and she learns to draw. And so, you know, you rely on different things. You find your way in nature. And she ends up getting published. And she goes from one book to the next book to the next on shells and then on the birds and then the mushrooms and then the fish. Everything that's in the marsh, she's sharing with the outside world. And yet everything that she is sharing is encapsulated in these 300 plus acres. So the marsh girl, and the funny thing about it, it's, 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 it's um, circular because she owes back taxes or the owner of the property owes back taxes. And since she's the one there to claim it, she gets the money from publishing the books to the outside world to go back and pay off the tax lien so that she owns that land and no one can ever take it from her. And one of the reasons she's prompted to go downtown to find out and finds out about the tax lien is because there are developers who are coming and taking pictures of the land. 
And she, you know, she's like, well, I, and somebody asked her, like, do you own it? And she doesn't know. And she goes, she takes the Bible and she goes down there and she finds out that she does. So she owes this money and that's a motivating factor. Again, finding the way to survive the obstacles that come up. She needs $800. Where is this girl in the marsh going to get $800? So it, she pays the $800 and she owns the land forever and it's never going to be developed in her lifetime because she's part of it. And that's where the beauty of the moniker, the marsh, marsh girl comes because she is the marsh girl beyond just what the outside world and society sees. She lives the marsh, she breathes it, she survives off of it, she eats there, she lives there. And she is interacting with all of the animals and the, the flora and the fauna and the water and the beach and everything, you know, and it's, it was interesting to me as an actor, like she had to learn how to handle the boat and she was such an expert at it. And I thought, wow, I wonder how, like, you know, you don't just spin a boat around or you have to have some finesse with it and all of that, even though that's a man-made structure, she was able to, to handle as the actor and, there's a scene where uh, Kaya has to, she's trying to get away and she dives into the water. And I was like, oh, I know that water's got alligators in it, but she didn't care. Like there was no fear of the nature. She knows her place in it and how she had to swim. And it was just like, oh, it was just beautifully done. Um, so yeah, I think like when you're, if you haven't read it yet or you're gonna watch the movie, or you haven't seen the movie and you see it, it's a beautiful way to be, like to have that, that name, the Marsh Girl, and to really live it. It's her essence. It's her truth. Um, she's part of it. She's part of that ecosystem. Um, okay. Whoa, big lightning. So, having said that, oh, can you hear that? It's a big thunderstorm. I waited all day to, to record this. Okay, let me keep going. So, there are... Um, choices you, when you're, when you have a book to movie, uh, there's always that choice. Like, do you read the book first if the movie's already out? Or in my case, I read the book because there wasn't a movie yet. And then I heard the movie was coming and I just recently saw the movie. I never got to see it in the big screen last summer. And I decided, you know, I'm going to do that. It just, it intrigued me and I love the book and I'm going to do it for Chick Flick Chat. Uh, I'm always looking for some kind of content, obviously, to, you know, to cover that would be interesting for myself so that I can make a good show for you and that, you know, people want to hear about. And I don't know, I don't really have uh, anything way to recommend to you what you should do. It's a personal choice. I always like to read the book first and then see the movie. But I think if I, if I saw the movie already and you're hearing this chick flick chat and you're going to pick up the book, you will still love the book. So I don't want you to feel like the spoilers here. It, it, if you've seen the movie, you know already, okay? So there are general spoilers, but all right. So in her life, she meets certain people. And two people that I think uh, deserve some recognition are Jumpin' and Maple. Mabel, who own like the, the, like the gas station depot, little uh, general store. And they're, you know... They're a black couple and they, they befriend her and they take her in like parents. And I found it was such a, a lovely 
aspect and story because they're outsiders in 1969 and prior to that, like when the show, the movie starts and we're going through this, these decades, they're the outsiders in society and they recognize Kaya's expulsion from society because she's the Marsh girl, quote unquote. Um, and it's really beautiful relationship and how Mabel is that mother figure and sees what this young girl needs you know there's there's when you don't have a mother because her mother left early because she was being abused by Kai's dad uh, and she never came back and they're different so to speak in society at the in the norms at the time so they're rejected and and Kaya is rejected but they embrace her as their own and they don't have their own children so she becomes they become her extended family and vice versa and it's really a lovely relationship and it's it's explored more in the book and it's just it's just beautiful um and Tate so the 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 boy that she knew from the time she was young Kai until you know she becomes a young woman and they have this relationship and she loves him and then he leaves to go to college and he tells her he'll be back and he doesn't come back when he says and years go by and it's it's the catalyst for her getting involved with this other person named Jay, Chase Andrews. But the Tate relationship is just so sweet and, and pure and beautiful. And he hurt her, but he hurt himself. And, and I didn't realize, I didn't remember in the book that until I was looking at the credits for the film, that his name, his character name is Tate Walker. So he left, he walked away, but then he comes back and... You know, he walked out into the into the regular world, away from this enclave that they're in, and he finds out that his journey is really back where he started with her. And he comes home, and he and he he reclaims her, and he asks for you know, basically, will she take him back? Um, so it's an interesting. He gets out, and yet he comes back, and she stays in, and they don't really need the outside world because everything they have and need is in this marsh. Their whole life is there. Uh, and he can bring his education in. And from, I'm sure, part of what his education was having to do with nature helped her in, in you know, drawing and writing the books and getting more and more published and doing the studies. Uh, it's almost like they're anthropologists in this marsh, you know, and she has it without any formal education and he has the formal education. So they're symbiotic. Um and and in nature, we all know the phrase survival of the fittest. So that sort of brings me to what the the pinnacle part of the book is in in terms of like the the crescendo, you know, where are they going with this? Um, she gets involved while Tate's away at college with this guy, Chase Andrews, who's like, you know, the town, whatever, he's like the hot shot. I guess he's supposed to be from a wealthy family, they own a business. Um, and he's very interested in her, but he's using her and she sleeps with him. And then she finds out that he's actually engaged to this other girl, like the girl he should be engaged to, but he supposedly really loves her, but he's very possessive and he's not who she thought he was. And he's a liar and a cheat. Uh, and he's an interloper. He is someone who's coming in from the outside into her nest so to speak and he's disrupting it and he does actually kind of wreck her house 
And so it's like he, you know, he's like knocking a nest out of a tree. He's just nasty. And so he's this, as the outsider in her environment, he wants to take it and control her. And it's very similar in the, uh, after seeing the movie, I didn't think about this when I read the book, but seeing the movie, it's like the developers that want to come in and just, you know, raise the land and put up hotels and a dock or whatever else, but they don't have any idea what they're moving and what they're changing and, and, and destroying and affecting and effecting. So like, it's, it's all of that. Like he's just the local, you know, hotshot, but yet he's as destructive as someone like a developer coming in and taking over the land because she is the land. And that goes back to my, she is the marsh girl. And he wants this from her. He wants everything from her. And yet he can't give back. He just wants to take, take, take. And it reminds me of something um, off of Hilton Head Island. There's another island called Defusky Island. And Defusky Island about, I guess about 20 years ago, they were going to develop, they did develop that land. They put this fabulous spa and the golf courses and houses and everything. And it was a bomb because they touched land that had belonged to the, the Gullah people, which were ancestors from the slaves. And they moved, when the developers came in, they moved graveyards and all these different things. And that thing was a white elephant from day one. Since then, they have, and it actually has some historic value from the Civil War, but it has somewhat come back because there's, you know, the land down there is getting scarcer and scarcer because there's so much building going on. But it reminded me of that, that these developers come in, they don't know what's, they don't really care what's there and they don't care to find out. They just want the land for profit. Um and it changes everything. It changes the entire world little by little with all this development. So during her relationship with Chase, it's never good. It's it's always weird. Like, you know, she's, she's filling the gap of time that she doesn't have with Tate. And, and who hasn't done this, right? Like, it's a typical thing. So the Chase character is played by Harris Dickinson. Um, he does a good job. I, I, I haven't seen any really of these actors and other things, but he did a nice job. And, you know, of course you don't like him because you're not supposed to like him, which tells you he did a good job as the actor. Uh, so there's a point where Kaya gets a letter from the publishers. And this is really the, the key thing that in terms of the dialogue in the movie, and also it's very important in the book, uh, where she goes, she has to take the bus to another town. Uh, to a city to meet with them, to have a dinner, to talk about publishing her book. And she's always in marsh garb, so to speak, you know, just natural. And well, when she's waiting for the bus, she's got her hair done. She's in a skirt. She's got a purse and her bag. And she's very ladylike and very stylish and she looks very pretty and you see her from across the street from the point of view of these ladies who work in a store and their perspective of her and they all notice her and it's interesting because in society you know when Kaya was being the marsh girl to them she was invisible she was invisible to them because they couldn't relate to it and she was an outsider 
But when suddenly she puts on the disguise of society, the hair and the makeup and the heels and the skirt and the, and the, the purse and all of that, they recognize her and they see her and they notice her. And it's, it's society's expectations. Like, oh, now she can be counted. Like, oh, look at her. And she has value now to them. Like they're all very, they're intrigued by it, but they're, they see a different side of her. Except the joke is on them because it's act, even though she's going to the meeting, the idea is that she gets seen waiting for the bus because it's very important to the story on what's going to happen. So she puts on what is essentially normal garb in society at the time. But for her, for Kaya, as the Marsh Girl, it's a disguise. So she goes because they expect her to sort of stay that way. Well, she, wherever she's going on the bus, they don't know yet. Um, she goes to the meeting. She has the meeting with the publishers, which is, you know, she's at a dinner table. She's showing her drawings and talking about um, the, the nature and what happens. So there's a few lines that I think are really important that take place. And I, I after I watched the movie, I had to go back and I... I had to put the, um, you know, the, the closed caption on so I could see exactly what she said. And I, I have it here for you. And I want to share it because I think it's, a, I think it's so important. So, so they ask her, somebody says something about, oh, animal, you know, oh, I, I have to be careful around insects. And she says, well, some female insects do eat their mates. And then she goes on to talk about fireflies. And she says, fireflies, in fact, have two different light signals, one for mating and one to attract a male to make him her next meal. And someone interjects and then she says, well, I don't know if there's a dark side to nature, just inventive ways to endure against all odds. Just inventive ways to endure against all odds. And that is exactly what she does in the book. You don't see this in the movie, but she figures out what she has to do with the precision of nature, you know, like bees pollinating and timing and everything else. And so she takes care of Chase, so to speak, because he's become a real liability and threat to her and she won't live that way. She won't live like her mother she is one with the land. She doesn't need this. And it's, she knows in order he'll just keep coming back and taking and taking and hurting her. And she makes this plan and it's, it's not with malice. After, I mean, it's certainly premeditated, but it's not with malice when you look at how she is a part of nature as we all are, but this character more so from her circumstances she says, I don't know if there's a dark side to nature. So in what she ends up doing, it's not necessary. She just knows it's the survival. It's the survival of the fittest. Because if, if he can't get what he wants, he's going to eventually crush her. Uh, and she has to, you know, she wants to survive that. Uh, so in the book, you at, at the end, we find out about, and I don't want to give away too much here. So I'm this may sound a little disjointed, but trust me, when you see the book or, or read the book or see the movie, you'll, you'll get it. So in the book, there is a poem that's found at the end with this necklace. 
by Tate. And the poem is actually from um, a woman named Amanda Hamilton. Is it Amanda or Anita Hamilton? Let me see if I can see her name. I have it here. Um, Okay, let's see. I'll read it to you now. And it's called The Firefly, which I think is so interesting because of that conversation at the dinner table. Luring him was easy. Sorry, I'll start that again. Luring him was as easy as flashing valentines. But like a lady firefly, they hid a secret call to die. A final touch unfinished. The last step a trap. Down, down he falls, his eyes still holding mine until they see another world. I saw them change, first a question, then an answer, finally an end, and love itself passing to whatever it was before it began. And I, when you hear that, you go, wow, you know, that's just amazing. It's so simple and yet says so much in light of the, of the movie and the, what happens, you know, in the plot of the film. Um, and it, it wraps everything up, you know, at the end, it's just, I'm telling you, like Delia Owens as the author did just such a beautiful, beautiful weaving of this story to keep you going because, you know, it's kind of hard to make like bugs and, and fireflies interesting. And yet we have all of these layers and colors and beauty and, and, and human nature and, and good nature versus bad nature, you know, and things that happen. Um, so I just, let me just see. Okay. I'm just looking at my notes and I want to make sure I cover everything like I always do. Uh, so as far as you can, okay. So in, in the movie, we see the cabin that she was born into, which did not have, you know, it had like a pump for a well, probably, you know, obviously they had an outhouse or something and she does get it upgraded. And I kept thinking about the cabin as her nest, you know, and animals typically do not recreate their nests unless the nests are ruined in a storm or get knocked out of the tree or wherever they live, right? Um, it's not like they redecorate. They just, it is what it is. And there is, a, except that sometimes they might need more uh, sticks or, or, you know, if, you, if you've ever put stuff out for squirrels, you know that sometimes they'll take not just food you put out, but if like, if you have something outside, like one time I, I shook out, I can't remember what it was, but it was something fluffy that I, it was in the dryer. And then I saw the squirrels come in, like almost picking up like the lint in the yard and they take it back to their nests and they'll bed their nests with it. So sometimes they do get a little upgrade, right? Like things come to them and they use it. So she did upgrade it at one point when she had some extra money from the publications. And so she, she skewed her environment to make her more comfortable, but she never left. She was one with nature, no matter what. She lived in that cabin, then Tate uh, moved in with her and they lived their lives. And the progression of life that they do in the movie is really cinematically beautiful towards the end with her and Tate in a boat. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. I just, I want you to see it. It's really beautiful. It's just very... It's just a beautiful way to, to do it, to show the passage of time. Um, 
one of the other things in another show completely, and I'm off topic here, but I want to share is if you've ever watched Six Feet Under, the last episode, the last like five minutes when they showed life as as the daughter drove down the road, how everyone's life passed by, that was so poignant. And I, I, that when I saw this film the other night and I saw that, those scenes, I, I, thought, I thought of Six Feet Under and, you know, how life goes by and what is it, you know, what, what is, and, and for her and for Tate, they were, no, no pun intended, like happy as a clam, the two of them there, you know, they were just so authentic in their lives and that's what she was. And she could have left, and the presumption is she became very successful as an author and an illustrator. But it's just it's just an amazing story. It's not a true story. It is based on some facts of what that the the or experiences that the author had. Uh, I know that the uh, original artwork is by a woman, and I I didn't write it down. It's like Alice H. Smith maybe from the eighteen hundreds. Uh, and that's where the artwork was was renditioned from for the movie. Uh, and it's just a lovely, lovely experience whether you read the book, watch the movie, or do both. I can't recommend it enough to you. And I think, um, I think I'm going to end on that note because, I, you know, what else can you say about, about life like that? It's, it's, it's the essence of everything in this movie, of all, all life. And, uh, it's really wonderful, wonderful representation. So I'm not sure what the next chick flick chat's going to be. I have an idea. Uh, I just rewatched one movie, the first movie, the second one is just coming out. So I think that's what it's going to be. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to say, and then it's not the right one. Uh, but thank you again. And uh, that's that's this chick flick chat on where the crawdads sing. Please enjoy. And that's a wrap. This is Lucy Weston. Thank you so much for listening to this updated podcast of Chick Flick Chat. And you can always find me at Better brightereasier.com, home of Rumigator, the natural neutralizer. Chat with you next time. Bye for now.